0: Welcome to Raised on D&D Podcast. Raised on D&D
1: brings you inspirational interviews with tips and strategies to enrich your family's gaming experience. Your host for Raised on D&D has been a dungeon master for over 30 years and a father of 2-3 gamers. Here is Nick Cararelli.
0: Welcome back gamers, I'm your host Nick Cardarelli, and this is Raised on D&D. My next guest is from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He makes print and play paper miniatures for every genre and designs and writes tabletop RPGs including Cold Hands, Dark Eyes for Big Eyes, Small Mouth, Dark Fast Dungeons, Save the Day, anime hack and grandma world he's also looking to get it back into making comics he's currently on patreon putting out over 40 paper miniatures a month please welcome david oakum hi david
1: hello nice to be here
0: thanks for being on the show but my children are huge fans of snowball wars we've done that as a christmas tradition every year playing around of snowball (laughs) wars awesome Um, and so, so glad to have you on the show today. Uh, how old were you when you started playing D&D and RPGs?
1: Oh, well, my first my first RPG, official RPG, was Gamma World. And it was um, 1999. I think it was the fall. I remember being on the bus. I had just picked it up. And uh, i have been looking at it for a long time. The miniatures had been out for a while. And I'd been bugging people to buy me the miniatures because I didn't have a job. So, uh, um, you know, that... <laughs> The miniatures just—you know—I wasn't. It wasn't a good sell. You know, lead uh, figures. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't exactly what my uh, parents or siblings wanted to do. So, finally, I had managed to scrape up some uh, some money uh, over the years, and I picked up the boxed uh, edition of uh, Gamma World uh, with first edition. It was it was amazing, I, and I read it on the bus on the way home. I probably was about thirteen years old, and I read it on the bus on the way home, and. Honestly, it was a paradigm shift. It was like this whole new world opened up in front of me of how I could express my ideas and and tell stories. Um, A little bit of backup. Uh, From about grade five, my parents had uh, bought a uh, Super 8 camera. So I had been filming a lot of really bad movies uh, (laughs) with my friends. uh, And I just was not happy with the way it was going. And I stopped around grade eight stopped making them. So about, about that age. And I was trying to find like, oh, I could do comics, but I had to learn how to draw. So <laughs> I just immersed myself in that. Uh, and then uh, the role-playing games came along. Uh, and I remember, like I said, I was sitting on the bus, I was reading Gamma World and I was like, what is this? What, you know, what have I got myself into? <laughs> um, it, it, but it was brilliant because it, for me, it just opened up the, all these opportunities of stories I could tell. Uh, of ideas that I could express. And I think the first campaign that I ran with Gamma World was not Gamma World, it was a superhero game. Believe <laughs> <laughs> it or not. So I used the Gamma World character creation to create superheroes and supervillains. Wow. And uh, that's how that all started. So right, um, on,
0: right off the bat, you're customizing and making it your own.
1: Well, I, yeah, and I, I think that was one of the pieces of advice I think James, Jim Ward had written In there, in the introduction, I think it was just you know to make it your own game, like you know you're you're the one calling the shots. So, um, yeah, I I I ran all kinds of crazy adventures with (laughs) with with uh, Gamma World, everything from um, you know the super gonzo mutants that they have to uh, you know kind of a my knockoff of Daredevil (laughs) and Alpha Flight. so it was it was it was great because I was able to kind of take something another toolkit to tell a story and uh, and I think that was uh, the the thing that kind of changed me I think that was a big uh, factor in my development I, my marks got better at school uh, I became more involved in the community I ran uh, the the it was called the Wargamers Club back then but I ran the War Gamers Club at high school uh, you know made tournaments uh, did all kinds of uh, Events uh, now I run the, the role playing games club at my the high school I teach at because I'm a teacher now. So
0: <laughs> wow, that's yeah. incredible. Was that a group that you started at your high school, or was it already in place when you came?
1: There was a, a war gamers club, but it was more traditionally a war gamers club. So they would bring in squad leader or you know uh, Battle of the Bulge or mm-hmm. Dune or some board game or you know. Uh, diplomacy, uh, but there was a core group of kids that wanted to play d and d and you know that was something I was like yeah let's let 's do this so uh, when I took over the club, um, it just became mainly the role playing game club <laughs> the uh, the war games are still there, and miniature battle games are still there, but we uh, we really focused on um, on role playing after that point
0: that' is yeah. fantastic and uh, and also, you're a father, is that right?
1: I am. I am. Yes, I have two daughters from my first marriage, uh, Stephanie and Caitlin, and uh, three boys. Uh, my daughters are in their 20s now. They're all grown up and living on their own and doing their own thing. Uh, and three boys who are 18, the oldest age, he's off to university next year. Okay. Uh, and then 16 uh, with uh, Zach and 14 for Josh. Wow. So, okay. so it's a team. T- Teenage palooza here in quarantine.
0: (laughs) It's very similar to my household. Uh, Mine are 14, uh, 12, and 11. And uh, so real close. And you have a Zach and a Josh as well as I do. So that's very good. Yeah. um, So (laughs) uh, with with your children, when did you introduce them to tabletop role-playing games?
1: Oh, man, I was just thinking about this the other day. I was uh, talking to Josh, the youngest, and he must have been about seven. Mm -hmm. Uh, when we started playing. And I think some of the first games we played together were Talisman. Okay. uh, um, The old, you know, Games Workshop game. Yes. uh, Which is great. I made, uh, for my daughters, I had made a custom board um, with Gotham City. So they could play, you know, Harley Quinn and Batgirl and all that. Uh, So we played all kinds of variations of, of you can see, I can't leave anything alone. (laughs) I, I I have to go in and mess everything up. So we played a lot of Talisman uh, when Josh was about seven, and, and then we started playing some Snowball Wars. Actually, I made Snowball Wars for uh, for them. I made uh, for Christmas. I made individual sets, and they had a, pa- uh, a hard copy that they could play and keep in their rooms. Um, so that was that was the origin of hard of uh, sorry of uh, Snowball Wars.
0: I'm so glad you put it up, though, on Drive RPG because the kids love it. For the folks who are listening and don't know about Snowball Wars, uh, if I could, I- I'd like to tell them a little bit about it. It is little kids having a snowball fight and all kinds of craziness can happen with uh, Abominable Snowmen and uh, Santa's Elves. And zombie snowmen, I mean it is so much fun, and we we play it like I said before every every Christmas break. We've kind of evolved the terrain a little bit we've got your uh-huh. we've got your paper trees and your paper fences still because they're so your your artwork is so whimsical and adorable um, uh-huh. and so we love that, but we've added um the little ceramic christmas village houses oh nice um and uh one year we did uh a gingerbread house village we got the little kit you know from the from a uh-huh. big, big grocery store and we made the little village houses and then we put those on the board as terrain uh for the uh for the snowball wars so we we did that so and they love the they love all those yeah. little, all little those, those little tweaks
1: yeah, that sounds so much fun too. Yeah. And I love when people take something that I've made and do something new and different with it, you know. It just it uh it, it gives it so much more life and 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 for me it it it's kind of breathing, you know. It's kind of like its own entity out there, so that's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, I love the pictures. I see the pictures every year, and it's it's so much fun to show my wife, and she goes, uh, oh, my goodness, you know, and she's always excited to see them. So I know that there's been some uh, cafes in uh, Europe and like in Italy where they've played, at, you know, in cafes, and uh, uh, it's just fun to see how your games uh, evolve in the wild, you know, mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and travel, I mean, all, all around the world and what, what I love about it is it was a game that you made for your children to enjoy together and you mm-hmm. and brought so much joy and, and, and become a family tradition for my family. For the folks who are just being introduced to Oakham Arts, can you tell us a little bit uh, about your RPG lines?
1: Yeah, sure. Um well it's interesting. Uh those two uh those two games, uh, Dark Fest Dungeons and uh uh Save the Day, they kind of evolved out of what you know became Snowball Wars. Uh because before that I had a an any nomination for a game called uh Katana Schoolgirls versus Zombie Furries, which was a sort of an anime-inspired fever dream uh that I had that I decided to make one day. Uh and the the game system of that I was at a wedding <laughs> of all things. I was at a wedding and I was watching this little kid on the dance floor getting kind of knocked around and, but she was like trying to dance, but there was like so much, it was so frenetic. And, and, and every time she'd get hit, she'd spin and, and get, get back up. And that kind of gave me this idea of the D6 system, you know, of the, of the, uh, um, of the, the, you roll and they roll uh, because uh, it, it kind of developed into this, um uh, into this core mechanic uh, that, beca- that's, that became um, uh, what you get for Snowball Wars and then what you eventually be- get in Darkest Dungeons and Save the Day. So that little poor little girl, well, she's probably in her 20s now, but that poor little girl uh, struggling on the dance floor uh, was the inspiration for that game system.
0: <laughs> did you... Did, did you- Pull your pen out right then and 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 start and start making notes, or or did you chew on it for a while? Get home and 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 start putting it to paper.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, I was probably more concerned about her safety. I was thinking, well, I'm having to do surf first aid here, but uh, she was fine. She was having a great time. It took about a week after the wedding before I started uh, writing the mechanic down for Katana Schoolgirls. So so yeah, so with Darkfest Dungeons uh, with the with the Kickstarter, um, you know, I. I That thing just exploded into this monster that I'm finishing up. Uh, But I think it's a fun core game. I I released the role-playing game version of it and it was a lot of fun. I've been playing that with my friends for a long time now. Uh, And Save the Day, uh, it was the superhero version of that, of the the fantasy game. And uh, uh, I wanted a game that I could play with my kids and have quick resolution. Uh, One thing about superhero games is it gets really bogged down. Mm -hmm. So I wanted something that would Yeah, I really wanted something that would be a a streamlined mechanic that you could, um, you know, show what what a superhero can do, but um, without a lot of math and without a lot of extra, uh, you know, work on your part, uh, make a character in 10 minutes and just get adventuring. Uh, And that that was the whole philosophy behind the games.
0: And it's so critical, especially when you have younger players. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes when you're introducing adult players to role-playing games, that either character creation be quick, or you have uh, pre-generated characters ready. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things, because we're fans of mutants and masterminds, but one of the things that I kept noticing was my children didn't want to sit down and... You know, distribute the points, right? They didn't want to do the 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 hard math of character creation, which can sometimes take a session all by itself. Especially as parents, you know, we don't always have the time. But with Save the Day, because character creation is so simple and so fast, Mm -hmm. they were able to get that feeling of "this is my character" versus. I'm Wolverine or I'm Batman or those kind of things. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So it's, it's great for younger players, but you can, but these games are wonderful to play with adults as well.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. My, my regular gaming group, um, you know, we've been playing since 81, some of them, um, you know, they, they love it. Uh, they, you know, they, they they have stories about the, the the adventures that could not have happened without the system being what it is you know so mm-hmm. um so th- having that chance to make a character quickly having the chance to resolve a situation quickly um we can tell a lot more story in a night um but we're not just going to go into one um you know standoff at a you know in, 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 on a street or something uh we we can basically tell the story of an issue of a comic. And that's kind of how the, the story the was saved the day. It's kind of based on a game turn is a page and your action is your panel. And uh, you kind of go from there. So, uh, uh, and I love that. Yeah. I wanted something that system that old, uh, older gamers would recognize, uh, you know, as game turns as you know, uh, you're around. Uh, but then I also wanted something that new players could easily, uh, understand and grasp right away. And if they're coming at a superhero, uh, game, they're probably, at least some of them are familiar with some comics. Uh, so they'd kind of understand the, the structure of a, of a comic page. So, um, so I use that as the foundation. I didn't want to make it too cheesy. I, I really, I held up, held really held back in a lot of the descriptions uh, in the in the book on that. But I, the core remains. Uh, but I didn't want to, to, to you know, beat it too much.
0: <laughs> Another thing that I love is your paper miniatures are for every genre I mean sci-fi fantasy superheroes yep. um, even there's even kind of some dark Cthulhu like stuff, horror stuff that you do as well, right That's and, right yeah but your paper minis on drivethroughrpg.com I mean we're talking two dollars three dollars for dozens of minis and then you even uh, provide skins where if I want to change the color of the uniforms, Um, I can change them so I can have different squads of the same art and I can print as many as I want and I can be. Some people they just like to cut them like a circle around them or yeah. a square, and then I I like to get crazy with it and really like get in there with the exacto knife, make them all 3D. Get the uh, get the Sharpie and color the edges black and and make them beautiful, right? Uh, real three dimensional. They pop on the table, and and, and, it, and it's great. It's great because it's it's affordable. Uh, especially for families during, um, during this year, that's been really hard on a lot of families. They can yeah. have gorgeous art on the table. And then uh, do you also, I, I know you did some terrain for Star Trek. Um, yeah. I really loved your corridors um, and rooms. That was wonderful. Um, and that really added another dimension to our star trek rpgs um and I know for dark fast dungeons, uh you did do some some dungeon corridors as well. uh do you do other terrain uh to add to your miniatures
1: yeah i'm I'm currently finishing up the instructions for uh some superhero or modern uh, cityscapes. So um, they like there's two skyscraper buildings, but they're modular, so you could make them into all kinds of different buildings. Uh, and then uh, there's also a raised um, subway train platform uh, that I've also used in games. <laughs> so the the thing is with a lot of these miniatures and, and terrain is that I want to use them in my own games. So. I think, what do I need this week? And mm-hmm. some, some, you know, I play Monday nights, uh, some weekends I'm like Friday night. I'm thinking, Oh, you know what? I really need a dungeon setup, but I want to make something special for Monday night. So I'll just start scratch from scratch and just build something. Uh, and then <laughs> if it's good <laughs> or if I like it, I'll put it up on drive through role playing, you know? Um, so a lot of it, a lot of this comes from my own, uh, use, uh, my own needs. Um, which probably explains why there's so many genres because I've been playing with my game group for so long. We've had to mix it up. Uh We've had to make, we've had, you know, when you're you're playing together with the same people, you know, since 1981, 1984, uh, you know, you, you have, you have to kind of do something different. So I like to think of it as like, uh, what are we going to watch on Netflix today? You know, how you scroll around, Mm -hmm. uh, that's exactly what my process of creating adventures is. Um, I'll sometimes create a whole new campaign, just, you know, um, you know, like uh, spaghetti Western science fiction. And that becomes Monday's game. Uh, and I don't have miniatures for that. So I need to make, you know, I need to make those miniatures. So, um, you know, I can't just go out and buy lead miniatures or plastic miniatures for all of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be it would be like, you know, the cost would be outrageous, but also where would I keep them, you know, <laughs> like, where, oh. where would I put them? All- uh, so it's yeah. So it became kind of a. Originally, the Star Trek miniatures started. That was how I kind of started doing paper miniatures as um, a way of having characters for my. You know, having miniatures for my friends. I didn't have any Star Trek miniatures around, uh, so I made them and I uh, made lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's kind of how I do things. I, I, I'm going to need them. I'm going to need to use them, uh, and and so with terrain now. Um, you know i 've been using other people 's terrain i 've been also you know kept bashing my own uh the, the thing you mentioned how you can modify the the characters uh one thing I loved okay there 's a there 's so much to talk about <laughs> uh the one monk miniatures was a was a, a website uh that Jim Hartman started uh and now Squ- uh, squirmy dad has that and one thing I loved about those miniature sets is that they weren't locked. The PDFs were, were open. You could open them in Photoshop or in a, you know, in, a, in, a, in a photo editing program. And you could cut the heads off and mix and match and make your own thing. So I make sure that all my miniatures, you can do that. You can take those sets and you, um, you can take the basics and you can start, you know, Frankenstein monstering them together into whatever you want. Um because Wow. For, for me, that's such a big part of the craft uh, that I, I loved when I fell in love with with paper miniatures. Um, that I really wanted to make sure that other people could do that, or you know, had that opportunity. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. And what I love is what a, what a wonderful gift, by the way, that you can make this art, you can share it with the world, uh, that they can mix and match and change them around. You're always the GM, right?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Do you ever get to play?
1: I'm a, such a bad. I'm a, I'm okay, I like playing, but I'm I'm bad at it. I'm I'm impatient. I I grandstand. I do crazy voices. I I I just I get too I don't know. So my I, I think my friends patience uh they lost their patience with me early on and I just said, "Well, I'm just going to run the games and uh, you know." So I, yeah, so for yeah so I've been doing this for decades, having to come up with a new adventure every week uh, uh, something different that they're going to be interested in. They're not going to just sit there and play on their phones or you know before that doodle or you know drink coffee and chat. Um, so it became a matter of entertaining them and I think my experience as a teacher has also helped me uh you know with you know crowd control and discipline and <laughs> keeping the players in line so i think I think I'm naturally. They always say that teachers are the worst students. And I think, uh, I, I, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I think that's, that's how I see it.
0: <laughs> I'm the perpetual GM also, and it's very difficult. It, that getting out of that game master mindset is so difficult. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to sit back. I'm trying to enjoy. All of a sudden, I'm not just figuring out the, the meta plot, to the situation, but I'm, I'm throwing, and not on purpose, by the way, I'm just having, I'm just playing and uh, I'm going, wait a second. You know, our patron is a bad guy. You guys realize that, right? And the whole table is like, no, no, there's no way. Uh, He's a friend of our character's parents. Um, No, he's not a bad guy. And the poor GM just starts sinking behind the screen. (laughs) Like, Oh God, Oh God, he's going to ruin the whole thing. And, uh, I had one game master tell me that it was one of the best sessions he had ever had because the other players who had already been in the campaign, I was kind of making a, a, a guest appearance for a couple of sessions. He said it was the best because you had figured it out. You told them and they didn't believe you <laughs> Your character was kind of an outsider of the group. So when the betrayal happened months later, it was so sweeter because they had defended the villains and they remembered that you would warn them. And uh, he goes, it was almost like a, a, a planned plot device, but, yeah. <laughs> but it, but it's hard to get out of that GM mindset. You know, as a game master, you, you experience burnout, don't you?
1: Yeah. Um, I had this question. I was, I was running a game at a convention, uh, a couple of years ago now. Uh, and somebody asked me about that. Cause I told, I told him how long I've been, de- you know, uh, GMing and, uh, how many years we've had the group together. And, and I, my, a lot of my friends will understand there are tropes in my, in my adventure writing mm-hmm. where they'll recognize a path and they'll follow it and they'll know kind of where I'm going with it because we've been playing for so long. Right. Uh, you know, it just comes down to that. What I love about that actually is that I, I love undermining their expectations. <laughs> um, but, but here's the other thing. I love listening to them chatter about what they think is going on. Ninety mm-hmm. percent of the time it's so much better than my original idea, and so sometimes you know just their idea of what they think the adventure is that's now the new adventure uh, i'm not ma- I'm not married to the old idea i'm just you know I'm going with this because this is so much better you know it's a, it's a, it's got more you know everything all the all the loose ends are tying together everything's you know makes sense it's logical um so we we, we kind of, there's a lot of simpatico with our group um you know i've got i've got a an amazing uh, group of people that i have been you know, playing with my, my friends friend Seb and Nick, I think are the oldest in the group. I had a group before them, mm-hmm. uh, but Seb and Nick are still playing every week. Uh, Seb not so much during the, the you know the um, the uh, COVID thing, uh, but um, online I'm playing with the, with my group on a regular basis. Um, and I think Nick started playing with me in '81, uh, which is which is in high school, you know, which is great. Uh, and then my friend Mitch came in. Uh, he was an introduction of another friend who's since moved on to Ottawa. Um, and then I brought in um, my friend who I went to university with, Steve. And then Steve brought in two crazy brothers named Rich and Dave. And uh, that's kind of our group. And you know, people have come and gone and other people have joined. But that core group is pretty much stuck together uh, since uh, you know the early 80s and early in into the nineties, uh, late eighties. Wow, that is yeah. amazing. And so like the, I said, they know every trick in the book. They know what I'm, you know, we've got characters that are like the second generation of other characters, <laughs> uh, which is insane. Like, why do I still do this? But my superhero campaign, uh, it's kind of silly. Like if you're playing like a 40 year old guy in 1986, um, why is, you know, He's, you know, he's not going to be the same age in, you know, 2020. So we have to kind of, you know, evolve. The the campaign has to move on. So every now and again, we have a reboot and, uh, you know, crisis event or something. And uh, the universe gets rewritten. uh, And I start making it more and more like what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we all started with, well, I started with Gamma World with that campaign. It became champions for many years. Yeah. For many years, decades, it became, it was champions. And then in the nineties um, we were playing the vampire game storyteller system. Yes. And I thought, you know what, what if this was a superhero game? So we just wrote up vampires, but instead of like vampire powers and blood points, it became power points and superpowers. Uh, and the structure remained the same and it worked just as well or didn't work just as well, depending who you like, who, you, who you're talking to. And um it became a superhero setting. And so it was set in the same universe, same characters. It's uh, just sort of a, another take at it. And then um, when Big Eye Small Mouth came out, the anime game, uh, we used that system for a while and, uh, you know, uh, eventually got back into fifth edition in 2000 <laughs> when it came out. Uh, and then now that campaign uh, has become the foundation for what um, save the day became, which is uh Amazing legacy when you think about how long that has gone on.
0: That is just incredible. You looked at it and you said, this would be so much fun as something else. Exactly, and, and you were able to create that because when I started uh, game mastering and, and storytelling and things like that, that wasn't something that struck me. Like I, I, took the book and I went, okay, well, this is what what we're doing and how it's done. I, it's crazy because I started with Palladium Fantasy. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I played Palladium Fantasy too. Yeah, uh, you did. Okay, I did, yeah. and I turned that. I turned that into a modern horror game. <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so it, it was it's called Macabre and, and uh, that's when my friend Seb got involved in 81 uh, I guess it wasn't 81 it was still after 81 but by the t- by, 84 I think I had the campaign pretty much set and he came in and um, yeah so it was a it was a horror genre game a modern setting and it, my campaign was really influenced by the comic mage
0: okay yes I remember, remember
1: that one um, yep. Matt 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 Wagner uh, comic, uh, so all these it had all these sort of um, Arthurian undertones to it. Um, but I thought I felt that the, the system, the Palladium system, had had something going on there. It had some interesting. I really, um, I really
0: enjoyed uh, a lot of aspects of the system, um, but Palladium fantasy setting was my first love. Um, I don't know if mm. it was the Uh, seven foot tall wolf men who had like a Romanesque empire in the North um, or just just such a rich setting. It was. But we but we loved it. Um, I loved it. And so then my players loved it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, my friend Eric, he loved the campaign and the setting. And he went off uh, on his own, you know, doing his own thing eventually, you know, during high school. And he just detailed that whole world before those books came out, he mapped it out. He, he, you know, every little hex was populated. Uh, he, he, he figured all these things out. Uh, I was really jealous of his players because I wasn't part of that group, but um, you know, he was uh, he loved that system and game and setting. And it, it's such, yeah, it's such an evocative setting um, with really, you know, fun um, ideas that are, you know, not too dark, not too whimsical. It just had a, you know, it was a Goldilocks of a setting. That's what it is. Yes. Just right. Just right.
0: And (laughs) so, so now your, your daughters are grown. Um, Boys are teenagers and, uh, you've been gaming with them since they were young. Uh, how has, how has the gaming with them changed, uh, from when you started them off, you know, seven years old,
1: uh, to now, Oh, it's, it's different now. I mean, we, over this, um, isolation period we've been playing and, um, we played some Star Wars. Uh, I think it, it, a lot of their ideas of what they want to play come from the media they consume. Mm-hmm. So, uh, originally it was just like, we're just going to play this game and they would, you know, they would just jump right in. But now there's, uh, they're making choices based on what they like with video games or with, um, movies or tv shows and that sort of thing so i think uh after seeing the mandalorian they really wanted to uh, play star wars yeah. um a uh, very simple straightforward system um and uh they you know they had a great time it was a lot of fun um the one thing i think that's different from when they were younger is that we honestly have less time uh they've got you know they've got jobs they've got school. They've got friends, they've got other things they're doing, and, you know, the, actually having the luxury to sit down and play with them is uh, is always fun and wonderful. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's the difference. It's just that I wish I had more time to, to play with them.
0: I understand that completely, um, everyone going in different directions. And during the quarantine time, uh, it made it a little bit easier to mm-hmm. sit down and get everyone around the table again. What kind of life lessons and skills are you hoping that your children will kind of take away from the table, moving out into the world and and making their own path?
1: Oh, I mean, I was, yeah, I I think the first thing is problem solving. It's, you're always going to face problems in your life. You're always going to have adversity and lateral thinking is such an important skill. You can't really teach it. You have to experience it. And what gaming does is it lets you ha- experiment and take risks, right? Um, you know, you can, you can fail and it's okay. It's actually sometimes it's more fun <laughs> in a role-playing game to, to fail big. Uh, and those are sometimes the campaigns and adventures that you still talk about, you know, 30, 40 years later. Um, but, it's, you know, it's, I think for one thing, it's the problem-solving. It's the lateral thinking um i think it's also a social thing like i have lifelong friends uh in my group and we you know we we can talk about these campaigns that we've played for hours uh and you know it's probably really annoying <laughs> when you hear us talk um but you know i've been to their weddings i've i'm the godfather of their children you know um these are my friends and uh i'm i'm so lucky to have them And I think, I I really hope that they can take that away as a life lesson, you know, of of what you can gain through uh, tabletop gaming.
0: I think one of the reasons that fandom of all stripes has become so popular in our culture is because it's something that people can really bond over.
1: I agree. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, back in the day, people used to make fun of. You know, tabletop gamers is, you know, not having any friends. Well, the ironic thing is you need to have friends to, mm-hmm. to play tabletop games. <laughs> so, wow. you know, that kind of undermines your argument right there. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, it's, it's been great that um, that it, it's it's made this expansion into popular culture. Um, I've bumped into so many people or talked to so many people who all, you know, they played D&D originally back in the 80s, you know, and they never really thought much of it. it was just something they did, you know, like some people you know, got into, you know, Star Wars, and then they moved on to different things, but they still like Star Wars. Um, you know, I'm always amazed to hear stories of people that I work with, that you know, parents of students, um, you know, people on, in my neighborhood who will tell me about their adventures they had when they were a teenager with their characters and who their character was. And it's um, it's really neat that so many people actually played and the awareness was there um, where, you know, we always kind of felt it was a fringe thing, right? Yes. Uh, and now with the technology, we can reach out and we can find out that, yeah, this is a big community. Um, this is something that is capturing people's imaginations. And this is something that we can, um, you know, we can get ideas from. We can we can connect with, with other human beings uh, and sometimes meet and play with them. Uh, I've done sort of meetup groups where we meet at a restaurant and people sign up who want to try games and, or, you know, or just haven't had the time to play with their groups they played as a you know, teenager, but they haven't had a chance now that they're an adult. And it's so rewarding to see them come back week after week, looking forward to playing again. Uh, and and just the, the joy that they have <laughs> and what the, the ideas they bring in. I mean, you know, the, the great thing about role-playing games as a, as a GM is that your players are you know, what, what you're working with here. And uh, you can have the best ideas in the world and, and fall, you know, head over heels in love with your ideas. But, you know, if it doesn't fit your group, that's, they're no good. Uh, so you have to, you have to read the room. You have to be able to uh, play the game that they want to play. Um, and I think that's uh, that's a good skill to have.
0: You've got a Patreon going mm-hmm. now. You're cranking out all kinds of, paper minis. So can you tell us a little bit about that? And what, what what's behind the curtain at Patreon right now? What, what can I expect to see w- when I subscribe?
1: Oh, well, um, initially, you're, you're going to get the, the, the current stuff, what's going on and, and what's being made. But uh, I think the thing that a lot of people discover uh, is that there's a huge archive of work that's available once you sign up. Like, I've got years of paper miniatures there. And I've thought about like retiring sets um, but honestly, I think the best part about it is subscribing for like, I think it's like for, you know, for $3 and there's a $5 and the $5 gets you the full sets, uh, $2 gets you the, the supporter sets. Um, but I think the thing that people are blown away by is the fact that it's all available. So you can go back into the archives and, uh, pick out, you know, some of the older sets and, uh, I'm putting out now, I mean, for the past two years now, I've been putting out over Forty to fifty miniatures a month, wow. um, which wow. it seemed daunting, but now it 's just kind of like the workflow right it 's just kind of like yeah, I know what i 'm doing uh, when I put them on digitally, uh, you know sometimes I mean it varies I mean sometimes i 'm like, two days late to you know something like that, but um, I always try to get them out the first Wednesday of the month uh, around there Wednesday to Friday, somewhere in the last you know that that area. So I think when people sign up, um, I try to find out what they're interested in and and, and get to know them, Uh, and then I always do like a poll, uh, and then start building from there. There's always extras that are that show up. Um, You know, I get some commissions and other things that I do, and I always throw them in there as well. Uh, So you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna end up with. I I ended up doing a um, a set for fundraising of uh, for a women's shelter in town. And, um, you know, I, I think that set I put out on Patreon as well, but people still donated. They still picked it up. So I've been putting uh, half of the, those donations away and then my half and then, you know, I'll be presenting that in the summer. So I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to get other things out there, extra things uh, that people can be interested in. Uh, the genres range. Uh, I've got steampunk pulp uh you know 1920s you know gangster era stuff i've got fantasy science fiction i've got hard science fiction and i've got pulp science fiction um you know i did a set of dogs and cats recently <laughs> which was a, a very popular set like everyone loved them uh, somebody um actually uh uh Paper Realms, who does the cut my, a lot of my cut files and terrain, he uh, he named every cat on Twitter, um, which I, I was just blown away by. You know, the, every cat got some love, which was great. Um, so that, yeah, with the Patreon, uh, I think that my approach has always been that I want to have fun with this. I want that. I don't want that. I want that to be kind of. I want. I want people to to feel that fun to feel that energy two sets so because every month i've put out two sets so i think that might be a lot of fun i mean uh, deadlands has been getting really popular mm-hmm. and um, a lot of people are talking about that and uh, it's harder i think to find miniatures for some of these genre bashed um settings so yes. that might be i mean it's there i mean if it's not next month it's going to be coming up uh you know, I've got this some fun, some fun little doodles of like skeleton cowboys and stuff like that. So, um, you know, the, the, I'm always kind of trying to push it and look at what people are are drawn to on my Patreon and what they seem to be enjoying, um, what they seem to be asking for, and then you know, going from that. Um, last month, the month before, I put out a whole set of uh, Greek inspired miniatures, uh, Greek inspired miniatures, and I. I had so much fun making them. Uh, I really want to make more, so that I'm sure I'll have another set of those or another two sets of those coming up in the uh, new year as well. Final thing I wanted to say about um, paper miniatures in particular is it, it's such a, a growing community. There's so many people putting out miniatures. Um, you know, you should you should really take a look at um, drive-through role playing. Great people like Trash Mobs and Kev's Lounge and Paper Forge, Paper Mage. There's so many brave adventures. Like there's so much stuff that's out there. Uh, it, it's you can't name them all, but there. But really, take a look at the community because we all work together. There's like a secret uh, and international cabal of us that work together to try to put out the best miniatures we can uh, and challenge each other to make it the bet, make better. So um, I'm really. You know, loving it, and I'm looking forward to, you know, doing even more in the future. Um, I think that's something to look forward to.
0: That is incredible, David. Thank you being here today, sharing with us. Thank you for your art. Thank you for your sharing your um, imagination and just the way you look at games. And you said you can't can't leave it alone. You got to mess with it. But I, I really think that you make it better. We're so, so excited to see what's coming out next and what, what, what you're going to do uh, in the future. So, David, thank you so much. Thank you for being on the show.
1: Thanks so much. Nice chatting with you.